Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, good morning again, um, and uh, we are excited to be here with you guys today. It's going to be a great morning. Uh, you know, we are talking about uh, Palm Sunday, what it is, what it means, uh, what it matters to us today. Um, there's something called the, the church calendar, which is a, a season that happens. It includes things like Advent and the Christmas season. It includes things like uh, Good Friday and Easter, and Palm Sunday is one of those things. And it's important for us to take a, a, an opportunity to slow down and, and acknowledge what some of these things are, what they mean, and, and how we can apply those things to our lives. Uh, and so we're we're going to do that today. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I uh, I don't know if this happens to anybody else. Every once in a while, we'll get into this this space. My wife and I will be home. Maybe sometimes in the same room. Sometimes maybe even uh, on the same sofa, and we'll just like send each other things from Instagram. Does anybody else ever do that? That's okay. I know. I know it happens to more than just us. Uh, and so rather than just talking, we'll just send each other posts and then kind of like giggle or laugh about it or whatever it might be. Uh, but every once in a while, she'll send me posts like um, 10 ways to snore less. Uh, and I'm just like, wait a second. Or, you know, how did I not be a terrible person? No, I'm just kidding. She's never sent that. But, but there's a sense where it's like, oh, these are funny pictures. These are funny memes. These are funny videos, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I think this one's not supposed to be funny anymore. Like this one might actually just be like a, a help, uh, a helpful hint, a tip. Um, and in uh, and, and all seriousness, there is this ability that we have. Uh, all of us have this. I, I have it. You have it. But it is so much easier for us to see the, uh, the errors or the flaws, the issues in other people than it is for us to see the ones that we have. Um, for other people, it can be a glaring problem. But for us, we, we like to think like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I got all of the bases covered. Like, I don't really have any major issues, struggles. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge that so many of us wrestle with. So many of us have this aspect of how we're wired to recognize uh, the problems outside of us externally uh, because they're frustrating to us and we're comfortable with our issues. Um, it causes issues for us and we figured out how to work around our own problems. There's this, this piece. And, and actually, Jesus warned us about this. And one of the most famous uh, teachings he had in the sermon on the Mount, uh, Luke chapter six, he said it this way. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? There's this concept of what he's teaching about our ability to recognize even the slightest flaw, the slightest issue, the slightest challenge in someone else. Maybe it's a friend, a family member, a spouse. Maybe it's a stranger. We have this ability to notice with eagle eye vision, the speck in someone else's eye. Meanwhile, we have a plank sticking out of our own eye. And everybody agrees that when Jesus said this, it was supposed to be kind of like uh, sarcastic, making a point, a little bit salty, this idea of like, are you, are you serious? You can notice all of these things, but you're unable to, 
or unwilling to recognize the things in your own heart, in your own mind that need to be paid attention to. He's acknowledging that we have this, this way that we're wired, that somehow we were able to miss these things internally. We're able to focus on the external problems and we miss the internal ones. Now, how does this apply to Palm Sunday? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Palm Sunday uh, is a historic event. Uh, Palm Sunday kicks off what is called Holy Week. Uh, historically, Palm Sunday was a, a day, an event, a thing that happened at the beginning of Holy Week, which goes on to uh, include Good Friday. It includes Easter Sunday, all these different components. And, and essentially, Palm Sunday was a parade. Palm Sunday was a, an event that happened where Jesus came into Jerusalem and, and people were thrilled about it. And I actually want to read uh, the, the, the passage that explains Palm Sunday. It's Matthew chapter 21. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screens as well. But Matthew 21, uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as uh, Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the tree, just like uh, the... Uh, very authentic plastic palm fronds that the kids had up here on stage. Uh, they, they cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road and the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the city, uh, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I mean, it's fascinating. Jesus comes into the city, uh, he like light uh, carjacks a donkey uh, and says, it's going to be okay. He rides into the city and there's a massive crowd, people that recognize him, people that have heard the stories about the miracles and the healings and, and the ways that he was upsetting religious people and upsetting political people. And, and there was like this, this fan base but the city was already incredibly crowded because uh, it also happened to be the week of Passover, which was this very important, maybe the most important Jewish festival. And so people would come from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So there's this crowd of people and disciples and, and people that are following Jesus that are cheering and shouting Hosanna, and they're putting their coats on the road to make like this red carpet experience essentially for him. And then as he gets into the city, there's tons of people that are like, what's happening? Who is this? And I love it. It says the crowds responded. The crowds told them who it was. This is Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. It was a massive celebration. Part of it was because they had seen the good that Jesus had done. The miracles, the healing, the teachings, there was excitement about what Jesus had done for them. 
But there was also this deep expectation of what Jesus was going to do. There was this deep uh, uh, kind of concept of what Jesus was actually going to do when he got to Jerusalem. Um, they believed that Jesus ultimately was going to uh, overthrow Rome. Rome had kind of come in and was oppressing uh, Israel and the Jewish people and, and kind of enforcing their way and their laws. And, and so in their mind, Jesus was coming in to have this uprising and, and overthrow the powers. And it's actually not the first time that this type of parade happened. There's a very similar parade about 150 years before this. There was a man named Judas Maccabeus. It's not Judas from the disciples that we're familiar with that betrayed Jesus. It's a different Judas. And uh, he led the Jewish people in a revolt. And what's interesting is this guy, his name is Judas, but he had, they gave him a nickname, which is always fun. Uh, his nickname was The Hammer, which has got to be like, I mean, that's an awesome nickname, right? And as I heard that, as I was studying, it's like, man, it sounds like a WWF character. Uh, and so... Uh, but as I was talking with some of our other campus pastors about this, one of them sent me a picture and said, there was a WWF wrestler named The Hammer, and we've got a picture of it, which makes all Jewish history more fun to learn when there's visuals, right? Uh, and that's how you know he's The Hammer, just like a really nice stitching. And I personally feel like we should, we should recognize this as peak male physical condition again. Like this is... I feel like this is what we should be aiming for again. So anyways, let's go off this picture. It's creeping me out. Okay. So we've got the hammer and then uh, Judas, about 150 years before Palm Sunday, he actually read this uprising, uh, led this uprising, this revolt against um, this kingdom uh, that had come in and was oppressing uh, the Israel that was forcing their ways. And he had led this successful revolt. And when he came back into the city, everyone was cheering and they lined the streets. And guess what they did? They cut off palm fronds and they were waving them in the air and they were celebrating the arrival of this savior that had saved them from the powers, the politics, the government, the people who were oppressing them. And so as you fast forward 150 years, Jesus is riding in and a very similar celebration. And scripture says that people were shouting out Hosanna. This word kind of literally, the literal meaning of this word is please save us now. It's like a, it's a request and a demand. It's this recognition that we need help and we need help now. Hosanna, please save us. It's not Hosanna just in a way of acknowledging the greatness of Jesus. It's Hosanna, please save us from what we're experiencing. But what's so interesting to me uh, is that they're not asking him to save them from their sins or from the spiritual darkness that all of us have. They're essentially saying, please save us, but do it like it's been done before. We want the same kind of salvation that we've had in the past where you overthrow the oppressors, where you defeat the enemies. The, the physical enemies, where you uh, use some display of power to make everyone terrified of us because we're your children and, and we should be the ones in power because we're the good guys. This is what they wanted. This is kind of what they were demanding and expecting. 
And we can see that the passion and excitement about this quickly turned to disillusionment because a few days later, he's betrayed and tried and ultimately crucified. They went from celebrating and laying their coats on the street to crucifying him. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy turn of events in a short amount of time. They wanted a warrior, but they got a savior. They wanted to be saved from the oppression of a ruler, but Jesus wants to save them from the oppression of sin and darkness. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the power of Rome, but Jesus wanted to overthrow the power of death. After Judas the hammer defeated uh, the other kingdom, they actually pressed coins that had uh, palm fronds kind of pressed into it. It was a symbol of freedom and hope. Everything about what they were wanting and longing for had to do with the system and the power and the government. And Jesus was coming to give them some sort of different aspect of freedom and hope and victory. And it's easy for us to kind of mock them or think like, Man, yeah, you guys really missed it. But there's two things we have to take into consideration. The first is that uh, we know kind of how the rest of the story plays out. So we have the, the luxury of, you know, spoiler alerts, uh, things like that. And then the other aspect that we have to acknowledge is that even with that fact, even with our ability to understand how the story continues to play out, we still miss it. We still get confused. We still misunderstand what, what it is that Jesus is wanting to do in our lives and in the world around us. A lot of us, and maybe all of us from time to time, we fall into this trap where we can recognize the oppressors that are outside, the people that are wronging us, the people that are trying to keep us from doing the things that we feel like we should be able to do, or, or maybe it's the relational challenges, and, and we can recognize how our spouse is failing us, or the ways that they need to change, or, or maybe it's friends or people in your community, and there's this, this kind of, Jesus, save us from them, fix them, change them, overthrow the power that they have, overthrow their ability to be blind to their own issues, help them realize, I mean, it happens maybe more in church than anywhere else where you're listening to a sermon on, you know, any given topic. It's like, you know, who needs to hear this topic about forgiveness? You know, who needs to hear this, this sermon about judgment? I'm going to send them a link to the podcast so that Jesus can help them figure out how to get their stuff together. We all have this this tendency to miss it, to miss what Jesus is wanting to do. I grew up in church. I've talked about that before. I know a lot of people here uh, didn't grow up in church. Uh, maybe you're still trying to figure out if this is something you want to be a part of. But when I was growing up and in youth group, there was this term that was used all the time. And it had great intentions, and it's not a bad term, but this idea that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Have you made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? And there's a lot of truth. It's a great question to ask. But for so many of us, we would accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, and then all of our energy would be spent on, God, why don't you go fix them and that and that stuff out there? Nothing about it was really personal. It was always about them those people, those things, we have to come to grips with this aspect of, of what it was that Jesus was coming for. He was coming for our hearts. He's coming for his children. I think the reality is, is that we would prefer Jesus just fix 
save and improve everything around us while we conveniently get to avoid having to look internally. We conveniently get to avoid having to experience change or transformation. We don't have to do any work. If everybody else would be fixed, then I can stay exactly as I am, which would be great. I mean, it would. This pursuit that Jesus has is for us as individuals, for our hearts. Um, I, I, uh, I like to hear them shouting in there, by the way. They're having fun, just in case you're worried that uh, they have too much fun over there sometimes. Um, Judas, the hammer, defeated this oppressive kingdom. And less than 150 years later, there was another oppressive kingdom. They were saved, and they needed to be saved again. They found the freedom that they wanted, and eventually the freedom was taken away from them again. There's this, this effort, this, this stock that we put in the ability to, to kind of overcome or overthrow these external pressures, but they're always just replaced or filled in by something else. Uh, I've talked about uh, my kids before. My older one loves to read. He read through all of the Harry Potter books in like a too short of amount of time. Uh, and then I've not read the books, but uh, I've heard from other people that have read the books that after you finish reading the Harry Potter series, um, you don't really feel like reading any other books. Like nothing else compares. <laughs> to Harry Potter. And so there's like this weird grieving period. And so we've tried to give him some other books to read. And some of them he's liked and some of them he hasn't. But I think we found one that he likes. And, and we always say, hey, if you read the book, we'll watch the movie after you finish it. And so we got him on the Hunger Games series. I don't know if you guys have read it. Okay. Oh, wow. Yes. I didn't get claps, but that's okay. Um, but uh, he started reading The Hunger Games, and he watched the f uh, finished the first book, and then he watched the first movie, and I was reminded, because I've seen the movies before, but and if you're familiar with The Hunger Games, there's this, uh, all of these districts, and there's this crazy tyrant, uh, President Snow, who's in charge of this really brutal uh, system. I mean, it's, I'm a, I won't get into the details, but maybe watch the movie or read the book, whichever one. So, but anyways, spoiler alert, by the way, you guys, if you haven't. But we're like a decade in, so you, it's time. So uh, they finally uh, are able to, uh, to oust this tyrannical leader who is absolutely brutal, and President Snow is gone, and he's replaced by this other leader. And in just a few moments, there's this realization of this is just a different kind of tyrant. We, we were able to overcome the power that we were fighting against, and it was just replaced by another type of broken power, another type of broken leader. And, and I think this is what Israel was experiencing. They were so happy when Judas the hammer was able to overthrow this external power, but then another power just came in. And, and Jesus, Jesus cares deeply about what's happening in the world around us, but he's not invested in trying to fix a human kingdom that will continue to have human problems. He's coming for our hearts, because instead of a human kingdom that can be overthrown and defeated and, and, and twisted and manipulated by broken people, there's a spiritual kingdom that as God transforms our hearts and he begins to heal us from the inside out, it doesn't matter who's in charge or whether we live in California or the U.S. or, or wherever it is, we get to show up differently, living like a different kind of people, having hope 
even when things seem bleak outside, having peace, even when things feel difficult, because the salvation is an external, it's an internal transformation. The real freedom, the real salvation is when we're able to experience those types of things like hope and wholeness and peace and healing, regardless of what's happening in the world around us. Jesus invites us to live in his kingdom, but he won't overthrow ours. And this is what people were really upset with. As it gets later in Holy Week, there was this anger that Jesus wasn't rising up to overthrow the powers. Jesus is so committed to our hearts, restoring our hearts, restoring the relationship between us. Uh, Paul writes later in the New Testament, he says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, which is a crazy sentence. The pain of the cross, the sacrifice, his willingness to go through that, he did it for the joy before him. And the joy was the ability to have a healed, restored, renewed relationship with his children. Not for Jerusalem to have a sense of freedom, but for you and I to have a sense of freedom. It's outside of a time, it's outside of a, an era, it's outside of a kingdom. It's so much bigger than that. It goes beyond all of that. Jesus kind of articulated this reality in Matthew 24. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's a sense that all of these physical things have a time. But the, what, what I'm calling you to do, my words, my teaching, they expand and go past all of that time. How many kingdoms are still standing from when Jesus lived? But there is a spiritual kingdom that we're invited to live in. This, this reality of Christianity that should have never made it out of the first century. It should have never been able to succeed, but it's made it through kingdom after kingdom because it can't be conquered or defeated. It's not a physical kingdom. Daniel, the prophet, he said it this way. He said, throughout the history of these kingdoms, the God of heaven will be building a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will this kingdom ever fall under the domination of another. And he's not talking about this, this kind of temptation that we have to think of like heaven as this future place, like one day I'll get that you know, ticket stamped in the sky and all the types of things. Like he's talking about this reality of we, we can live and experience these things even now. When we experience God's goodness, when we experience beauty, when we experience a healed relationship, when we experience miracles happening, those are all pictures of God's kingdom breaking through into this one, this physical kingdom, the things that uh, God intended for it to be a, a specific way. But I think for many of us, and, and I've had this same thing, we, we get disillusioned. When God doesn't do the things out there that we want him to, or that we think he should, we get frustrated and disillusioned, and we start to ask ourselves, well, what am I doing this for? We get frustrated because he's not fixing the problems that we see. We get frustrated because, you know, I, I pray and I read my Bible, or I give, I serve, I do good things in the community. Doesn't he owe me something? Shouldn't he have to fix some of these things? They're not the way they're supposed to be anyways. We forget that his desire is to help our hearts first and foremost experience hope and, and transformation. We aren't the only ones that get disillusioned with this. Jesus was celebrated and worshiped and honored. 
with a parade and celebration on Palm Sunday, and by Thursday he was betrayed and arrested, and the crowds that had been cheering for him turned against him. We can move so quickly from feeling enamored to feeling disillusioned. And so today, we have the gift of seeing the whole story, but we also have the responsibility then to ask ourselves the questions, the responsibility to look internally, to look inward and and wrestle with these questions ourselves. And the thing that I want us to consider is when we shout Hosanna, when we say, God, save us now, do I just want God to fix the problems around me? Or am I asking for God to to fix the challenges inside of me? Is it about the things externally that I just want God to take care of these other problems, all of the specks in the eyes of people that I can see? Or am I willing for him to to transform and work inside my own heart and mind. I want us to be honest with ourselves about this. David, the psalmist, David, the king, uh, he wrote a lot. And one of the prayers that he wrote was in Psalm 139. You may be familiar with this, but it's a beautiful psalm. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Obviously, David was an incredible poet, writer. Um, this is a beautiful thing to read, but it's kind of a scary prayer to pray, to invite God to search us, to reveal to us what's in our hearts. God already knows what's in our hearts. It's, it's an invitation for him to let us know, <laughs> to help us catch up with what's happening in our hearts and our minds. Nobody can fool me quite as good as I can fool myself. I am very skilled at convincing myself that I'm doing all right, that I don't have any problems, that it's other people, it's other things. I'm able to gloss over things. But when we invite God to reveal to us what's going on, it's not, it's not out of some harsh judgmental aspect. It's an invitation to say, God, I want you to save me first and foremost. Help me experience healing and wholeness. Help me think different ways. Help me engage in relationships differently. Let me do that first, and then I'll show up in my community. Because God's plan for our communities to be saved and helped and resourced is actually us. It's, it's Christians. He wants us to experience some sort of transformation so that then we can go and offer it to other people. And it spreads out from there. And so... You know, I want to pray in just a minute, but practically speaking, I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to not just read a scripture, which is able to stir up some thoughts, but I want us to have something practical to do. There was a mentor that I um, have, and he shared this with me probably about 12 years ago, and um, I've talked about it briefly before, but it's been a while, but he talked about each day when he carves out time to read his Bible and pray, and, and he's one of these guys, he doesn't really like to slow down very much. So he was a big fan of saying that God speaks at the speed of life. You don't have to go away on a retreat and shut everything off to hear from God, although that's a great way to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. He said, God can keep up with you in your day-to-day. And so one of the things that he does every day and that I began to implement was he has a journal And uh, at the beginning of this page each day, he just says, God, will you reveal to me things from yesterday 
that I need to be aware of or that I need to make right. And he said, and I just sit down for a minute quietly and then some things will start to pop into my mind. And he said, I believe that the things that come to my mind is how God is answering this prayer. The conversation that I was rude in or the, the person that I was uh, impatient with or the, the habit or the addiction that I kind of stumbled into again, that, that's God answering these things when it comes to my mind and he begins to write it down. And, and I think writing it down is an important part because if you can think of a spectrum, I think that there's two ends of every spectrum and, and one end of the spectrum is some of us may be like, okay, God, is there anything that I did yesterday that was problematic? Nope. Okay, great. I'm going to move on with the rest of my time. And we let ourselves off the hook a little bit too quickly. And sometimes we need to just sit for a minute and be willing to face ourselves in the mirror. On the other end of the spectrum, and this is the one that I end up on, not that either one's better than the other, but mine's better. Uh, just kidding. Um, the other end of the spectrum is, is people that um, maybe we start to not wallow, but we just have this sense of shame or guilt or like, man, I'm, I got a, a long list. One page isn't going to be enough. This is going to be too hard. I, I am too much of a mess. But when you start going through this process, as I did, what you realized is that God will reveal some things. And, and when I say that, it might sound magical, but it's just this, things come to mind. And also what I've learned is that while I am flawed, deeply flawed, the list is never quite as long as I think it's going to be. And it's really helpful because I get to see these patterns of like, oh, I'm super impatient every morning with my kids getting out of the house for school. I should probably do something different in that space. Or, oh, I have this ongoing challenge in my marriage, and I should probably pay attention just to that specific thing. It's ways that God is leading us in the way everlasting. He's saying, hey, there's a better way. There's a different way. We can look inward, invite God to, to heal and transform our hearts, and then we get to experience the hope and the healing that comes with that process. So I want to take just some time this morning as we close out um, and I want to give us an opportunity to pray. Uh, there's this aspect while I've been teaching, and as I was writing my sermon over the last few weeks, I was thinking about this because it's just this, it's this temptation to point outwards. And when I do that, it's not you guys. It's not you, Sean, specifically, <laughs> but maybe a little bit. But it's not you guys, but it's this, this external reality of the problems are all out there. God save me by faith saving those things, by fixing those things. And the invitation for each one of us as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as an employee, as a boss, whatever it is, is to say, God, save me. Keep healing and transforming me first. And then I get to show up different. Then I get to exist different. Then I get to be a part of this thing differently, regardless of what powers are on the outside. I know that there's a different power inside of me in your spirit. So I, I, I want to invite you guys to bow your heads. Let's close our eyes and pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, 
information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.